Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. This week on Southcrest Live with Dr. David Wilson, we continue our Sermon on the Mount study series. Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. But what did Jesus mean by pure in heart, and what does it mean to see God? Turn your Bible to Matthew 5, 8, as we explore all the facets of being pure in heart in How to See God, from Pastor David Wilson. Aren't you glad you have a story about Jesus, that he's changed your life? Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, we're looking through the Beatitudes, They are progressive. They build upon one another. I want to begin reading in verse 2 down through verse 8. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You come to him spiritually bankrupt. You have nothing to offer God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Because you have nothing to offer God, we come weeping in our tears of sin, and God comforts us through forgiveness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek are those who give control of their life to God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. We have the righteousness of Jesus, and we hunger to be more like him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Those of us who've received the mercy of God, now we pass it to others. And then verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, For they shall see God. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to see you. I pray for those who are spiritually blind today. You would open their eyes. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Mrs. White was a preschool teacher. Preschool, kindergarten. She was trying to teach children the Pledge of Allegiance, and she told them every day of class, we're going to begin by having the Pledge of Allegiance. And so this morning, this particular morning, she was trying to get them to put their hands over their heart. And they all put their hands there, and she started in the pledge, I pledge allegiance. And then she looked down and saw Andy. Andy's hand was right here on his right hip. So she stopped, looked at Andy, and said, I'm not going to continue until you put your hand over your heart. Andy said, my hand is over my heart. She said, who in the world told you your heart was right there? She said, my grandmother. My grandmother never lies. Every time I see her, she puts her hand right there, pats me, and says, bless your little heart. (laughs) We're going to talk about the heart today. Heart condition. Not your physical heart condition your spiritual heart condition. I want to remind you that the word blessed or blessed, as sometimes we say to make it sound more holy, means to have a fulfillment and a contentment in Jesus Christ. Only people who know Jesus Christ are blessed in this sense, to have a right relationship with God, to be at peace with God, to have a joy and a fulfillment that only comes through the Lord. The world cannot bless you this way. It has nothing to do with material things, has nothing to do with circumstances. This only comes from having a right relationship with God. 
And then today, we're going to look at the condition of the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, I want to tell you, this is the hardest one of the Beatitudes to understand. It's the hardest one to interpret, but we're going to give it a try. I want us to first look at the connotation of being pure in heart. How do you get a pure heart? Well, obviously, only Jesus can make your heart pure. Only the Lord can cover you with forgiveness and make your heart pure. But I want us to talk about what that means as far as following the Lord, being pure in heart. You know, Americans are are obsessed with purity. Uh, A lot of you have a water purifier. Some of you want to breathe pure air. You have an air purifier. Some of you look at all the labels of food. You want to eat the purest food that you can with all, without all of the contaminants or preservatives or whatever you want to call it. In there, you want to eat the right things. Americans spent millions of dollars last year on water purification. We're obsessed with purification, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about spiritual purification. What does that mean to be pure in heart? Well, let's break it down. The first is the word pure. It means undivided devotion. Now, the word pure is the word katharos. We get the word catharsis from that, which is a a psychology word. It's a counseling word that means cleansing the mind or or emotions. It also means to cleanse from dirt, filth, and contamination. It was used of purifying metal. When you put fire under it and you purified the metal, got all of the alloy and all of the uh, contaminants out of it, it was purified. That word was used, katharos. Applied to the heart, it means a pure motive, to be single-minded, to be devoted, undivided devotion. It's the opposite of being double-minded. You know, the scripture says, don't be a double-minded person. You can't follow two directions at one time. You can only follow one. And it refers to having no mixture in your allegiance. In this instance, God wants us to give him our heart to to be completely singly-minded in our devotion to him. Now, folks, what that means is you function in this world knowing that God's in control of everything you do. Even though you live in this world, you go to work, you go to school, you, you live your life, being singly devoted means that, God, you're a part of everything that I do. I'm committed to you. Pure That's what that means. Undivided, single-minded. And when we look at the word heart, I describe it this way. It's undiluted dedication. Now, the word heart in the Greek is cardia, cardiac, cardiologist. We get all those heart words from the Greek word cardia. And throughout Scripture, the heart is used symbolically or metaphorically to to um, mean the inner person, the seat of the emotions. You broke my heart. I believe it in my heart. It also speaks of the mind and the will. I believe in my heart. I give you my heart. I will follow you with my heart. 
That's what the Bible talks about. And here are some good references. David said, uh, or Solomon wrote in Proverbs 23, 7, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. David acknowledged it. He said in, in Psalm 51, behold, you desire truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part, you will make me to know wisdom. And then he prayed, create in me a clean heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now, God's always been concerned about the inside. God's more concerned about the inside than he is the outside. Most of the time, we spend more time getting the outside pretty than we do the inside. We might be able to fool people every now and then. The people may actually think we're walking with God, but God's not fooled. 1 Samuel 16, 7, the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or his physical stature because I've rejected him for the Lord does not see as man sees for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Yeah. We read in Proverbs 21, 2, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. When David prayed for his son, Solomon. First Chronicles 29, 19, give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things. Now, the flip side of that would be King Rehoboam. And you read about him in second Chronicles 12, 14, it says, and he did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. So folks, today, we're talking about being pure in heart. Jesus reserved some of the most harsh words he used for people who were so concerned about just the outside. And in his day, those people were called Pharisees. They were basically religious pretenders. Now, there were probably a few of them that were, were uh, serious about their spiritual life, but for the most part, they were outwardly portraying what they thought was being pure to God, but inside their heart was not with them. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 23. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside... They're full of greed and selfish indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. Look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. This is Matthew 23, 25 to verse 27. They actually thought their religious acts made them pure. Are there any Pharisees today? I'm here to tell you there'll be people go to church today. And they think, if I partake of communion, it will somehow purify me. We observe communion here about every other month. It doesn't purify you. It's just juice and bread. It's symbolic of the blood and body of Christ. We don't believe it turns into the blood of Jesus or the flesh of Jesus. 
like some do. But the fact is, there'll be people who think, you know what, if I miss going to my church service, I won't be pure. I hate to tell you this, coming in this building didn't make you pure. You look good. You look good on the outside today. Everybody looks pretty good today. Most everybody looks pretty good today. (laughs) You all do. I'm kidding you. But only God can see what's on the inside. Only God knows her heart, doesn't he? You know, just because you do a good thing doesn't mean your heart's pure. Billy Graham told the story, true story, about getting on a hotel elevator. And there was a man already on the elevator. He had a party hat on his head and a drink in his hand. And to put it mildly, Billy Graham said he was pie-eyed, which meant he was drunk. And when he saw Billy Graham, he recognized him. He said, I know you. You're Billy Graham. You converted me. (laughs) Dr. Graham looked at him and said, well, I must have. It's apparent the Lord had nothing to do with it. (laughs) Just because you went down the aisle, just because you walked an aisle, just because you prayed a prayer, just because you were baptized, doesn't mean you're pure in heart. Chuck Swindoll wrote a book entitled Growing Deep in the Christian Life. And a true story tells a man who went to a fast food KFC, ordered two chicken dinners for himself and his date. And so the attendant at the fast food outlet, however, unintentionally gave him the proceeds for the day's business. It must have been sitting on the counter, gave him through the, the window, gave him the proceeds, $800 plus, some of, most of it in cash. Now, the man didn't know it until they drove out to where they were going to have a picnic and they sat down to enjoy a chicken dinner and opened the sack and there was all this money. So he put the money back in the sack Went back, drove in his car back to KFC. He, he uh, walked in, and of course, the manager was frantic. And the guy with the bag of money looked at the manager and said, I want you to know, I came by to get a couple of chicken dinners and wound up with all this money here. And the manager was thrilled that he brought the money back. He said, let me call the newspaper. I'm going to have your picture put in the local paper. You're one of the most honest men I've ever heard of. And the man quickly said, oh, no, 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 don't do that. And he leaned closer and he whispered, you see, the the woman I'm with is not my wife. (laughs) But isn't that pretty typical? We We may do one or two good things, but then our heart is not there. Pure in heart means undivided devotion I'm singly minded, I'm, I'm focused in my commitment to God, and undiluted dedication means, Lord, I want my heart to be dedicated to you. I, I don't want it to be contaminated. I want it to be dedicated to you. Well, how are we going to do that? How do you have a pure heart? I've already mentioned to you the only way that you can have your heart cleansed is through Jesus Christ. The, the song we sang about and uh, the, 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 the song that we sang in, before the choir and the orchestra song all talked about Jesus Christ. And, and the fact is, you know, religion doesn't pure your, purify your heart. You can go through a lot of outward motions. But it doesn't change your heart. That's why I've always said that some of the meanest people on earth are church people. 
because they're religious, they just don't know Jesus. And you really find out how, how if they know Jesus or not when you get in their seat <laughs> or you get their parking place. See, that's not pure in heart. I'm just telling you that there's a difference in coming to church and knowing Jesus. Coming to church, they ought to tell you how to know Jesus. And coming to church, they ought to feed you the word of God. And you worship, and we worship together. But the fact is, just sitting in that chair doesn't purify you. How? You, you, you repent of your sin which means you change your mind. You, you, you realize where you're headed. Until you realize you're lost, you can't be saved. Until you realize you're separated from God, you can't be saved. And so you realize, I'm separated from God. I am hopeless. I am doomed. God, I am coming to you. I have nothing to offer you. I'm spiritually bankrupt. I ask you to forgive me of my sin because of what Jesus did. He paid the price for my sin. He, he died on the cross. He, he, you put my sin on him. He died for it. The wages of sin is death. He died. But he rose again. He's the only one who rose again. And now, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you. I give you my life. I don't have any other option. I don't have any other alternative. Lord, I trust you implicitly. That's what it means to be saved. And when you do that, God covers you with the righteousness of Jesus. Amen. He cleanses your heart, purifies your heart. That's the only way to have a pure heart. But that's just the beginning. Now, it's not, it, you're fully saved. But guess what? God didn't say, okay, you're saved. Just hang in there till you die. Then come to heaven or I come back. No, he wants us to have an abundant life now. He wants us to be the man or woman that God wants us to be now. So how do you maintain that? Well, I made up an acrostic using the word pure. So let's talk about it for just a minute. Let's start with the letter P, praying and pursuing holiness. How are you going to get to know God? You got to talk to him. Do you have any kind of relationships in your life? Some of you are married. Some of you are engaged to be married. Some of you are single. There's not a thing wrong with that. But you have friends. Some of you have good friends. How do you have a good friend? Do you ever talk to them? The answer is yes. <laughs> you can't have a relationship without talking to somebody. A marriage doesn't work. People quit communicating. You see, a, a friendship breaks up. You quit communicating. You quit talking to one another. If you're going to have a relationship with God, do you ever talk to him? Besides when you're about to take a test. Those of you in the venue, I know when you pray. You get real serious about praying the night before finals, don't you? Or when something, when, you, when you're in a foxhole or when, you're, uh, when you really need him. Do you just ever talk to God? You see, the scripture says in, in Thessalonians to pray without ceasing. 
That means to have an attitude of, Lord, I've got an attitude of your presence in my life all the time. And even while I'm driving or I'm walking or whatever I'm doing, I can talk to you. I, I know you're here. Don't close your eyes while you're driving and pray. But talk to God. And you don't have to talk in the King James English. Talk to him in West Texas English and all the 57 varieties of West Texas English. But talk to him and pursue him. Colossians 3.1 says, set your mind on things above and not on things of the earth. Have a God consciousness about you. Lord, I realize you're with me today. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the rain. It's real hard for me to thank him for the hail when it hits my house. God, thank you for what, for what you do. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for my salvation. Talk to God. Talk to him. You probably pray the same thing at mealtime. It's easy to do. We get repetitious, don't we? A man and his son were driving down a country road. They saw a watermelon patch a little way off the highway and the This man happened to be a deacon at his church. He told his son, you keep a lookout. I'm going to go get one of those watermelons. And so he went out there and grabbed one of them. And he called back. He said, is anybody coming to look both ways? The boy wisely responded, said, dad, there's no one coming, but shouldn't we look up also? You see, having a pure heart means to be close to God and we don't have to look up to see if he's watching. I've got a consciousness about me to know that God's watching me. God lives in me. God loves me. I'm his child. He walks with me. And so when I'm talking with him, I can't help but pursue what he wants me to pursue. And to have a relationship, a personal relationship with the Lord, you've got to look within our heart to see him. That comes through prayer. The you stands for utilizing and understanding God's word. Do you ever read your Bible? Do you? Or do I, am I the one that spoon feeds you every week? Seriously. We learn in Bible school, part of the pledge to the Bible, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against God, Psalm 119.11. You see, how are you going to know what God's will is if you don't ever writ- read what he's written down as his will? It, you wonder why your hearts aren't pure. No, you don't miss all those talk shows and you don't miss all those news channels and you don't miss your iPods and your ear pods and your everything pods, whatever it is anymore. You, you got to hear all of that. You got to hear all this stuff, but do you ever open God's word and just read it? No amens. You know what'll happen when you begin to read God's word, you begin to to understand, hey, how much God loves you and how awesome redemption is and salvation is. And you find strength for the day. You find strength for the, the, the circumstances that you're in. God's word never returns void, ever, ever. You read it, it speaks to you, which leads to the R, repenting and refocusing our priorities. 
You know, the Bible clearly explains that a little bit of sin taints our life. You don't lose your salvation, but you lose the fellowship with the Lord. You do. And you wonder why you're bogged down. You wonder why everything's so bad. Oh, it's just a little bit. Have you ever heard of Schopenhauer's law of entropy? I don't even know who Schopenhauer is. But listen to this law. It's real profound. If you put a spoonful of wine in a barrel full of sewage, you get sewage. If you put a spoonful of sewage in a barrel full of wine, you still get sewage. But we're under the impression, you know, a little sin here and a little sin there doesn't really matter. So I can fill my mind with sewage. It won't matter. I can, I can listen to sewage. It won't matter. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 says, since we're, so, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with endurance the race that's marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him and endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endeared such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. That scripture says, lay aside, repent, lay aside the sin that so easily besets you. That might be a habit. That might be someplace you go on your computer. That might be a relationship that you're in. You see, your relationship can be sin if it's not according to God's plan. Lay it aside. True story. Several years ago in Bakersfield, California, man and woman bought a new boat. They could not get that boat to run right. No matter what they did in the water, it just wouldn't go. More power didn't matter. The outdrive was going down fine. So they limped their way to a marina and they said, there's something wrong with this boat. Would you help us? They checked it out on top side. Everything was perfect. The outdrive went in and out of the water. The pitch on the prop was right. Everything was right. So one of the guys at the marina got in the water to go underneath to see if there was a problem. And he came up spewing water, laughing so hard. The trailer was still on the boat. <laughs> and I thought, that can't be true. So I searched it on the web. I didn't come up with that Bakersfield, California, but the first picture that came up was a man in Australia. It shows him in his boat, and if you look carefully, the trailer's still on it. <laughs> now, for those of you who don't have a boat, I've had one most of my life, a fishing boat. Let me tell you, you take the boat off the trailer in the water. And as ridiculous as that sounds, it's amazing how many people try to keep sin attached to their daily life, 
thinking it won't matter. And they wonder why they're bogged down. They wonder why there's no joy. They wonder why beneath the surface of their life, they're miserable. I'm going to tell you something. You have to repent and refocus. To refocus your priorities. Do you know what the term habituation is? Habituation is how you spell it. Habituation is a psychological term that deals with the perception that refers to the phenomenon. The idea is when a new object or stimulus is introduced to our environment, we are intensely aware of it, but after a time it wears off. For example, if you hear a new noise in your neighborhood... Maybe somebody's got something now that's going to make noise constantly. And when you're first aware of it, it's irritating to you. But after a while, you get used to it. You don't hear it anymore. It's still there, but you don't hear it anymore. Or you got a stain on your carpet. The first time that stain happened, you saw it. Oh, my goodness. You can't get the stain out. It bothers you for a little while. But then after a while, you don't even notice it anymore. It's called habituation. There's a lot of people that have spiritual habituation. They've got sin in their life and they've been involved in it so long, they don't even know it's sin anymore. They don't understand that it's costing them fellowship with God. They don't understand that it's robbing them of the joy of their life and they wonder, what's wrong with me? Because you're not pure in heart. And the only way to be able to refocus and repent is through the letter E, and that's to be engaged and empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, when you realize you're unable to live a single holy moment without the Lord's guidance and power, you begin to rely on his strength because you can't do this alone. Galatians 5, 6 says, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Staying pure in heart is a constant struggle it's a desire but it's a struggle so what happens to the pure in heart Jesus said they shall see God now what in the world does that mean so let's talk about the consequence of being pure in heart They shall see God. Future indicative tense, middle voice, which doesn't mean a thing to you, but here's how it translates. They shall be continuously seeing God for themselves. Again, the they is emphatic. They and only they, only the pure in heart shall see God. So what does that mean? The purity of heart cleanses the eyes of the soul So that God becomes visible. We sometimes sing that song, open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. So what does that mean? We can see God in creation. It's incredible to me. Two different people. You take a believer and you take a naturalist or an evolutionist or an atheist. Look at the same data. And come up with two different conclusions. Because all an evolutionist is going to see is a bunch of genetics 
that replicate themselves or they're going to see billions of galaxies that they believe came from an explosion or they're going to see themselves in the mirror and think I'm just an animal that arose out of some lifeless chemicals over evolutionary time but a believer can look at creation and know the creator and we can look in the mirror and know that I am a child of God created by him and I can look at and see God in creation I can see intelligent design I can see an order not chaos only because you know Jesus they shall see God isn't that incredible we see God in his creation this may have happened to you this is probably a a, a bad example don't raise your hand do you know where all the Starbucks are in town (laughs) now the chances are this doesn't mean that you don't like coffee But I can promise you that if people don't drink coffee, they're sure not going to know where the coffee shops are. And you drive by and go, you know what? I never noticed that coffee shop there before, ever. And the reason is you're not looking for it. You're not looking for it. There may be some other shops, you know. If If you were to ask me where a lady's dress shop was, I'd say, I don't know. I don't look for them. People run by God because they're not looking for him. They don't see God because they're not, first of all, they're not pure in heart. And sin clouds the judgment. One one sign of an impure heart is ignorance because sin obstructs and obscures the truth. John 3, 19 and 20 says that. We see God in our circumstances. I'm not sure who coined the phrase God sightings, but they simply mean moments or occasions when our daily lives, when we recognize God is at work. Isn't it amazing when you see God working in your life? And it's not a coincidence. There's no coincidence for believers. God's at work in your life, and you see God in your relationships. You see God answering prayer. You see God doing stuff with you. When your heart's right with him, you see God at work in your life. Paul wrote in Ephesians 1.18, he said, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. The pure in heart have instant access to God. You don't have to make an appointment. You can talk straight to God through Jesus. No appointments needed. You don't have to call the pastor. I need you to ask the Lord for me. No, why don't you ask him yourself? I'll pray with you, but I'm not, I'm not the mediator between you and God. Neither's the Pope, by the way. <laughs> There's no man the mediator between God and man, only Jesus Christ. Only, only Jesus Christ. We see God in his word. You start reading the word and stuff starts making sense to you. And you're wondering why? Because spiritual things are spiritually discerned. When the Holy Spirit lives in you, he begins to teach you things. Now, if you think you're going to know every last thing about the Bible, you're not. Because some of it is just beyond our comprehension. But you're going to start understanding enough that you begin to say, you know what? 
You know what? You know what I read in the Bible? I had never saw that before. True story, in 1982, the L.A. Times carried the story of Anna Mae Penica, a 62-year-old woman who had been blind from birth. At 47, she married a man she met in Braille class, and for the first 15 years of their marriage, she, he did the seeing for both of them until he completely lost his vision to retinitis pigmentosa. And Mrs. Pinnica had never seen the green spring or the blue of a winter sky, yet because she had grown up in a loving, supportive family, she never felt resentful about her blindness and always exuded a remarkably cheerful spirit. In 1981, Dr. Thomas Pettit of the Jewel Stein Eye Institute of UCLA performed surgery to remove the rare congenital cataracts from the lens of her left eye, and Mrs. Pinnica saw for the first time ever. The newspaper didn't give her the account of her initial response, but it does tell us that she found that everything was so much bigger and brighter than she ever imagined. While she immediately recognized her husband and others she had known well, other acquaintances were taller or shorter, heavier or skinnier than she had pictured them. Since that day, Mrs. Pinnock has been hardly able to, she it says, has hardly been able to wake up in the morning, splash her eyes with water, put on her glasses and enjoy the changing morning light. She couldn't wait to do that. Her vision's almost 20-30, good enough to pass a driver's test. Can you imagine seeing for the first time? But what is ironic about this miracle is according to Dr. Pettit, the surgical technique that he used has been around since the 1940s. They could have corrected her problem, so she lived 40 of her 62 sightless years needlessly blind. And there are people today who are walking through life spiritually blind needlessly because only when you come to Christ do you begin to sing songs like I once was blind but now I see one last thing we're going to see God in the future (laughs) we've never seen him not face to face we see him active we see him working but listen to this Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also. You know what that means, receive you to myself? I'll have you face to face. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Somebody ought to write a song about that. We're going to see him one day. We're going to see him. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. The apostle Paul speaks of this when he said, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face-to-face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. John wrote, when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. First John 3, 2. We're going to see him. Our eyes will behold him. One last verse, Hebrews eleven twenty seven. Interesting verse. Speaks of Moses. That's the faith chapter, Hebrews 11. Listen to what it says about Moses. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. 
He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. What an amazing phrase. Moses saw him who is invisible. But according to 2 Corinthians 3, we have an even greater privilege than Moses had. When he saw God, the glory eventually faded from his face. But in Christ, the veil has been taken away. And now we have seen God face to face and his glory is being revealed in us. God see, people see God in us. They see our lives are changed. And folks, if you don't know Jesus today, I'm praying that God will take the blinders off and let you see how much he loves you and how he wants you to have eternal life and how he wants to cleanse your life of your sin, but you must turn from it and you must repent of it and you must Ask him to forgive you and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead and you will be saved. If you don't know Jesus, open your eyes. Have you ever said that to anybody? Just open your eyes. Just open your eyes. And for those who are believers... It's time to open your eyes. You wonder what's wrong in your life. It's because you're not pure in heart. It doesn't mean you have to be perfect. I've never said that. We're not going to be perfect on this earth. But I want to have an undivided devotion and loyalty to the Lord. And Lord, when I am tempted to go different ways, please keep my heart tuned to you. Let's pray. Thank you, Pastor David. And this week's message, we explored the cognitive and emotional qualities of being pure in heart, like undivided and undiluted devotion. We witnessed the actions involved, the prayer and pursuit of holiness, the utilization of God's Word, the refocus of priorities, and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. But we also discovered the result of being pure in heart, which is the many ways we see God today and the way we'll one day see him face to face. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. Be sure to catch our next installment of the Southcrest Live podcast. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.